0: Hello, welcome to it's Friday. Your Mail Plus guide to the best of what's happening in the world of arts and entertainment. My name's Jim White, and this week we'll be celebrating one of television's most enduring double acts. Yes, incredibly, it's 30 years since Anton deck first appeared on our screens. Hey, I can't attack it
1: when you're like this, man. Don't
0: mind. I've, I've done something terrible. I know. You keep telling us that bit. And we'll be talking to the musical legend Kiki Dee about her appearance at Live Aid, which involved delivering a bit of backstage help to a musical superstar.
2: George Michael, I met him. In fact, I got him to eat an apple before he went home because he was a bit nervous. It was his first big stadium gig and um, because apples actually do, you know, they open up your throat somehow, there's something in them. So he had an apple and we all had fun.
0: First though, to shine a light on the best of the week's entertainment, I'm joined by the Daily Mail's television writer, Claudia Connell, the Mail's music critic, Adrian Thrills, and the Mail's Boswell of the New York scene, Jackie Stephen. Now, Claudia, there is news, isn't there, of I'm a celebrity moving out of the jungle
3: that's right yeah there's been a big question mark about whether it was going to happen at all this year because obviously COVID-19 has has changed everything but it is happening it's just not coming from the Australian rainforest instead it's coming from a a haunted castle in Wales Um, it's one of ITV's big rating winners and it's a big earner for them as well because it always gets big brand sponsorship so it it was never going to not happen but I mean will it be the same no I mean will it be as good I it's hard to to say because one of the most popular features was the the bush tucker trial where celebrities ate kangaroo testicles and wallaby nostrils or whatever they ate and obviously i, I, I don't think they're going to be able to do that in wales i mean maybe oh no, they
0: don't know uh, jackie a lot, is. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of leaks that's what it'll be and i hope though whatever wherever it's set, ant and deck are still going to be in charge now that ant or is it deck is back
3: it's Ants, yes. Yeah, he, he was back last year after, after his uh, spot of trouble. Yeah, they absolutely make this show. They, they are, they're celebrating 30 years in, in showbiz together, back from their Biker Grove, PJ and Duncan days. And they're, they're hugely popular. They're really funny and talented. And, and I think it works because it's a genuine friendship. I mean, we, we can just listen to a, a clip of them in action here on I'm A Celebrity.
0: Whoa! Pat shop. Hold on, just a second.
1: Just because someone was a teenage pop star doesn't mean they're not highly educated. Rude. Me and Deck here, we were teenage pop stars, and we're very highly educated Thank you individuals. Very much. What was that Shakespeare quote you used the other day? Um,
0: I'm too sexy for my shirts. Too sexy for my shirts. So sexy that it hurts.
1: Hamlet, Act Two, Scene Three. No. Shakespeare I, I told you yes he said yeah he said Alright it's time for game 2 of the immunity challenge
0: I can't believe those two have been going 30 years ago I know. It, it,
3: they still they still sort of appear so young but i think they're both around 50 now so yeah it's it's a it's a partnership that's really stood the test of time
0: I mean obviously Morecambe and Wise are at the top but are Anton and Deck getting up there in your mind as the best of TV double acts?
3: I, I think they are up there yeah because they, I think they've still got a lot of mileage in them I mean I would also single out French and Saunders I think they were one of the great sort of uh, TV comedy double acts and um, also Victoria Wood and Julie Walters who worked together for years I mean Victoria Wood sadly no longer with us but I mean they were great when they worked together they had such great character observations and it was just really warm comedy, never offensive, but just very funny. I mean, we, we can remind ourselves of them here. By God. If her bum were a bungalow, she'd never get a mortgage on it. <laughs> She's let it drop. I'll say. I've admired Nicky, she needs a safety net.
0: Adrian. <laughs> <laughs> Duets in pop, uh, obviously, have been there virtually since recorded time. Who, who stands out as the great double act of the pop world for you?
1: The greatest? I mean, who knows? I mean, I think one of the originals, actually, the Everly Brothers, I think in many people's eyes are still the greatest musical duo. But uh, I think to my mind, there were, there were two great eras, really, of, of duos. There was the uh, the kind of classic 60s soul duos, Ike and Tina Turner, um, Otis Redding and Carla Thomas, Sam and Dave, Marvin Gaye, Tammy Terrell. And then, of course, you had the, uh, the early 80s with the rise of the the inimitable synth duo, the kind of likes of uh, Soft Cell, Pet Shop Boys, uh, Tears for Fears, Yazoo, Erasure, not forgetting Wham, not a synth duo, but one of you know, classic pop duo. I mean, there hasn't been so many in recent years. We've moved much more into the era of the, of the solo performer, haven't we, Adele, Ed Sheeran, Amy, uh, Dua Lipa it, it's very much about uh, individual singers these days we need we need a, a decent duo to come back really and and rule the roost
0: I know one uh, Tom Jones and Jackie uh, Stephen uh, Jackie um, <laughs> what, did, did you get double acts in America do you oh, on TV is there an Anton & equivalent in the States
4: there isn't really. I mean, when I was thinking about this earlier, I thought really only Laurel and Hardy were the ones who immediately sprang to mind, or at the moment Penn and Teller, who do a fantastic Vegas act. But in America, it tends to be very much the single comedian or the single performer. Uh, you see it by the proliferation of uh, chat shows, uh, always hosted by one person. So double acts aren't quite as big a thing as they would be in the UK. It was interesting hearing those just now, though, because Victoria Wood and Julie Walters, I've never laughed at one thing that either of them has ever done in their entire <laughs> life uh, French and Saunders I adore uh, Anton Deck I also adore and they now I think have won 20 years running in the National Television Awards the fact is the same 200 people voting every year is sort of neither here nor there but I do think that they are top of their tree at, uh, or field what do you what are you top of top of the tree top of and the I tree think I they think are really extraordinary
0: case. in the jungle tree Um. in the states this week There's been the announcement of a double act though, hasn't there?
4: Oh, it's been so exciting. We've been on tenterhooks waiting for Joe Biden to announce his running mate, and he finally did it this week, and he chose Kamala Harris, who's been a senator in California since 2017. I thought she was fantastic all the way along. I would have chosen her for the Democratic nomination. Uh, She's black, she's a woman, so it's ticking all the right politically correct boxes, and it's interesting how it's already affecting comedy even before this. Maya Randolph is on Saturday Night Live, and she's been impersonating her for some time. And she's up for an Emmy Award for her performance. And also what's interesting, she's Minnie Ripperton's daughter. Now in 1975- Loving loving you, no, loving me, what was it? Yeah, loving you. you. Loving you Uh, you. is easy cause you're beautiful. I'm not talking to you there, Jim. But uh, but I was just quoting the lyrics. Not that you aren't beautiful. I can feel the vibe there,
0: Jackie. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that was a fantastic song, wasn't it, Adrian? Loving you.
1: Oh, I thought she was an amazing singer. I mean, her life, you know, sadly cut short. I think she died at 31. And uh, I mean, she had a range uh, of
4: eight octaves as
1: a soprano. And very famous long before the likes of, uh, of other, you know, Whitney um, and Mariah of uh, hitting the the whistle register. She hit those really high helium notes. And uh, my favorite record of hers, actually, there was an album that came before the one that had Loving You on, which was called uh, Come To My Garden. It had an amazing song called "Les Fleurs," which was like a kind of symphonic soul song that people in recent years have, have gone back to and just said, this is like a really genius record.
0: Uh, anything to match that this week, uh, Adrian? You're always the man with the finger on the pulse. Can we match Mini Ripperton
1: Well, if uh, if the new Bruce Hornsby album is the pulse, then my finger's most definitely on it. But uh, <laughs> so Bruce Hornsby, you may remember again from uh, the '80s, actually 1986, he had a massive radio hit around the world with "The Way It Is," a brilliant song, kind of highlighted by he had this really kind of bright piano tone that was his kind of like a distinctive calling card. Uh, I remember I interviewed Brandon. Flowers of the Killers a couple of years ago, and he worked with uh, with Bruce Hornsby on one of his more recent albums, and. Uh he, he asked him a bit about the way uh, the way it is and some of his 80s songs. And he said, you can play an A minor chord, but I'll just play it that little bit differently. And uh, he's still playing those A minor chords uh, a little bit differently on his new album, which is called Non-Secure Connection. It's a bit more abstract. So it's a bit harder to get into than his, his 80s stuff. But there are actually some really good tunes. Once you get down to it, he, he is a great bluesy soul pianist. And uh, I think... Uh, I think we're going to hear a track of it now. And no one knows why I've been drawn to this lie
0: Tones. Has that cooled you down in Brighton?
3: No, it's, it's, it's like a sauna where I am at the moment. <laughs> I'm just uh, longing for rain.
0: Claudia, much as I love Anton Deck, I'm not sure I can face. Uh, I'm a celebrity. Um, anything else I should be watching on telly?
3: Well, uh, tonight there's a, a new series of Dirty John on Netflix. I, I don't know if you caught the first one. These are these are based on real crime stories. Um, the first one was about this sort of cad who fleeced middle-aged women. And this is the, the Betty Broderick story. Um, she's probably quite a familiar name in, in the US, but not so much here. And in a way that's better because it means there's lots of, sort of surprises in store. Um, spoiler alert, Betty is currently in prison for murdering her ex-husband, Dan, and his second wife, Linda. So this is the classic woman scorned Tale. Um, it opens with uh, them dealing with their very, very acrimonious divorce. And you can see Betty sort of starting to unravel and going more and more psycho as she, she just can't handle Dan moving on with a, a much younger woman. We can, we can listen to a clip here. My husband left me for a secretary.
0: Linda. Linda?
2: This is Linda. Hello?
0: The only thing Betty
1: cares about is money.
2: I can be kind, I can be nice. I'm a woman being divorced in America, I have no rights. He's calling the shots.
1: I want to smash things. It can be
2: sugar, it can be spice. If you've never smashed anything before, it feels great.
0: The law is a mental battlefield. And you never negotiate until you're sitting on their chest. How am I supposed to see my kids? With my permission. Every human has a breaking point. Push them to that point, they're going to bite back. Mom is a gun. That was Christian. Slater there doesn't sound like the best of Double Axe's marriage, does it, Claudia? But thanks very much to uh, Claudia, to Jackie and to Adrian. Kiki Dee's soulful tones were first heard on her debut single as long ago as 1963. A northern knew with a name given to her by her manager, he wanted to call her Kinky. But even at 16, she thought that wasn't quite right. She became the first British act ever to sign for Tamla Motown Records. Then, in 1976, by this time signed to his label, she and Elton John released Don't Go Breaking My Heart, which, as we've just been talking about, is a contender for the most successful duet ever recorded it was a song she happily admits that changed her life For the past 25 years she's been touring an acoustic show with the guitarist Carmelo Lugeri. She should have been in the midst of a British tour, playing acoustic versions of some of the 40 singles she's released in her stellar career. Then came lockdown and she joins me now from her home. And the first thing to ask Kiki is, uh, given that you've been on the road now for over 50 years, are you
2: still the same singer you once were? I think I'm a slightly different singer. Uh, My voice has gone down slightly in tone. I think I'm lucky that I've got a young voice, if you get my drift. Uh, My speaking voice is not that different to what it ever was, but yeah, the main thing is to keep it oiled. And um, because when you go on a tour, you know, in the old days when I used to tour with and stuff, uh, your voice gets better and better as you use it. And then there's a point when you get very tired and and you need a rest. But you know, it it takes me about two weeks to get my full capacity
0: going. You were always a, a brilliant soul singer you I think I'm right in saying you were the the first Brit ever to sign to Tamla Motown weren't you?
2: I believe so yeah that was back in 69.
0: <laughs> <laughs> w- I won't tell anyone I won't tell anyone uh, so uh, does the ability to sing that kind of music change you said that you do now a kind of acoustic set uh, is it a different type of singing that you do?
2: Well, I've got a home studio, which is brilliant, and I'm doing a new album for next year with Carmelo. I would say that there's always been a soulful element to my voice, I hope. But nowadays, uh, although it's eclectic, it's a little bit more grown up lyrically. I don't sing Baby, Baby anymore, if you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> we try and get an, ent- you know, because his guitars sound so beautiful, we try and have intelligent lyrics, but also en- uh, the music's entertaining, hopefully. So, yeah, I'm always moving forward. I'm one of those people. I, mean, I, I never look back. It's just my nature, you know, to keep going.
0: I'm sorry I'm going to make you look back, though, Kiki. Okay, uh, are you, That's all are right. you. Uh, one of the things that a lot of people have done uh, during lockdown was watching, re-watching Live Aid. 35 years ago it was that uh, you you and Elton sang Don't Go Breaking My Eye in front of the biggest live audience ever of all time, wasn't it? On, on telly and everything. It was,
2: yeah. I mean, it was a privilege for Elton to invite me to do it. And because I had no real pressure on the day, you know, um, I had nothing to lose. I was doing a song I'd been singing for nine years. I did wear rather a strange outfit, which looked like pink pajamas, but uh, very eighties with the hair all spiked up. But uh, it it was great fun. And George Michael, I met him. He was really sweet. In fact, I got him to eat an apple before he went on because he was a bit nervous. It was his first big stadium gig. And um, because apples actually do, you know, they open up your throat somehow. There's something in them. So he had an apple and we all had fun. <laughs> this song,
0: Don't Go Breaking My Heart, what, what's your relationship with it? Do you, When you and Carmelo are on stage, do you still sing it? Is that still part of you, still part of your performance?
2: Yeah, we do a slowed down version. And I always say to the audience, um, we do a meet and greet at the end of the gig. And I say, if anybody wants to sing the original version, we're going to do this version. But if anybody wants to sing along, we'll have And we, we have to do a, you know, a bit of a sing. And uh, it's very lighthearted. Uh, but I think that's important to give. If you're going to try and move forward and do new things that are a little bit unsafe, I think you have to give an audience familiarity so they feel, oh, yeah, I know this. I know this song, you know. I do, I've got the music in me and Amorous as well, you know. So it's a good mix.
0: You just mentioned uh, I've got the music in me, Amorous. Those were also songs uh, that you recorded when you were uh, on Elton John's label. Was was that the most productive time of your life, uh, Kiki? I don't don't want to get into the sordid details of cash and money (laughs) and so on, but was that when you were making the most you ever earned?
2: Well, funnily enough, you know, when uh, when earlier I said I was grateful, at the moment with what people are going through i make more money now on what i did in 19 in the 70s seriously I seriously yeah, I because the royalties because of Elvis career being so huge i get royalties on my songwriting from that time and from my performances and at the time, you know, I'd take the Kiki D band to America to support Elton. And what you didn't realize when you were young and naive is you'd be paying for the hotels. You'd be paying for the, the bar tram. bill. <laughs> and uh, it's true of a lot of artists, actually. I think people might, quite, might be quite amazed at how long it took the Rolling Stones to make money, you know. And although I'll never be a wealthy person like a lot of rock stars, Uh, I'm grateful that I'm safe, and I don't have to worry about paying a bill. I mean, what a great position to be in, you know.
0: And are you still in regular contact with Elton? Are you still
2: mates? We're still mates. Uh, We we speak about once a year. (laughs) He always sends me an orchid on my birthday, and I support the Ace Foundation uh, for his birthday present. You know, he's like an old friend who I don't see, but when I do, it's like yesterday.
0: Have you got green fingers, Kiki? I'd say you now have uh, a complete fantastic orchard of orchids at the back of your house, dear.
2: Well, actually, it died because I'm, I don't have green fingers. Um, oh, no. This one lasted four months. My birthday's in March. So it, it comes to the door and I, I look at it and I say, I wonder how long you've got.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so you are proposing to go back on the road in February. Yeah, next February. year, hopefully. Uh, th- th- that presumably will be a joyous occasion, won't it? Joyous for you to be singing again and joyous for your fans to actually see you again.
2: Hopefully. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I mean, what I'm mindful of at the moment is that I, being the age I am, I have to start looking at my fitness because I get more tired these days. So I've, st- I, you know, I've started exercising a bit more this week and, um, you know, keeping up my fitness because... I'm a voice, because when I go on the road, you know, it, it, I will need the energy that you have to build up. So it keeps me young, you know, singing.
0: Is it a real kind of cardiovascular workout then being on stage? Well, for
2: me, it, it, for me these days, yes. Uh, and our show's about two hours. We have an interval. And with voice and guitar and a little bit of keys and from me, uh, there's nowhere to hide vocally. So you know, and emotionally also, you know, I'm trying to connect with people, our music is about communication and, and uplifting people, and so you have, you, can't, you have to turn up, you know, you can't, It's you no know, the old stadium gigs, you could kind of get away with the production, you know, just going out there, there's dancers and there's lights and there's a band, but when it's just two people, you have to turn up, does that make sense?
0: Yeah, you signed uh, as a kid, didn't you? You, you, you signed uh, with uh, your first record label when you were 16. You acted as a backing singer for people like Dusty Springfield. You went through the 70s, the 80s. I mean, amazing career. What was your favorite time?
2: Um, I don't have one favorite time. Um, I love what I'm doing now because I have the freedom. You know, and and I'm older and wiser and I know who I am. I loved getting a hit record with Amaroz in 73. That was thrilling. I loved working in the studio with Dusty and doing my own album in the 60s and hearing the orchestra. Because in those days, there was no auto tune. You sang with the orchestra. And then at the end of the session, you had about 30 minutes to do your vocal. So it was, it was all much more instant in those days. And uh, so those days, I look back on fondly. So I, I'm, I've had some amazing decades.
0: One of the things uh, I read that you did was when you signed for Tamla Motown, you went out there, you went out to Detroit, you went to the, the fane studios, you met Marvin, Marvin. Gaye. How on earth did you not get starstruck?
2: Oh, well, I did, I did get starstruck. You know, this is typical me. Uh, I met Marvin Gaye again in, in the early 80s, about four years before, unfortunately, we lost him. And my friend reminded me, said, do you remember, we were in a studio in London and Marvin Gaye was next door, and he invited us in to listen to Sexual Healing, his new single. I said, I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, I met I met a lot of people. I met John Lennon through Elton, who was charming, and and we had a real good northern chat. And I think after a bit, you know, you get used to meeting people. Does that make sense? Yes. You, you know, you start, if you met John Lennon and Marvin Gaye, I mean, the rest is, you know, well, who who can top that really? <laughs>
0: well as they say Kiki if you can remember the 60s you weren't there so it's probably just as well you can't remember being next door to Marvin Gaye you're right (laughs) it's been lovely speaking to you thanks so much for joining us
2: thanks for having me on
0: Sadly, that's all we have time for from It's Friday this week. My thanks to Jackie Stephen, Adrian Thrills and Claudia Connell for their insights and to Kiki D for sharing her memories of a quite fantastic singing career. Join me next week for more news from the entertainment front line via Spotify, Apple or Google or sign up to Mail Plus for much more exclusive content at mailplus.co.uk. Until then, I'm Jim White. Thanks for listening.